Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, in my podcast studio, so to speak, I've got my sister's two cats. They're, uh, oh, yeah. uh, they have evacuated Yellowknife, my sister, with her two kids and their two cats. So. Wow. Well, looks right. like I got a place to go. The cats. Well, my the, my sister's staying at a B and B, and the one, oh, yeah. one of the daughters here, and one's with her, so it's a bit of a schmozzle. Anyway, I got these two cats, and um, they in could this crash room, the show at any they could time. Crash it's... the show at any time, or start okay. caterwauling at my cats, which are on the other side of the door, and they're <laughs> waiting to get at each other. It looks like. Okay, Bruce, we actually have some big news to talk about we do. today. The owners made a move, which I think is actually a really good move, but not for the obvious reason. They uh, let go of or parted ways with, as they put it, mutually parted ways with Tyler Wright, their director of amateur scouting. And they brought in a new director of amateur scouting, the former head of the Colorado Avalanche from, I think, 2009 to 2014 drafts. Rick Pracy, he's now 52. He's been a Philadelphia Flyer scout. And just judging from his background and um, um, what they say on, they show him as a as an amateur scout. He worked in Colorado as an amateur scout starting from 2002, and then he got promoted to 2009 to be the head scout. And uh, it, he was always listed as a Canadian scout, and the same as in Philadelphia. He's a Hamilton native, and he was a, a goalie coach in um, which city? Another Ontario city. And um, so I'm, I'm guessing he was the Ontario scout for for both those teams, an Ontario scout. And um, um, so we'll we'll dig into this, Bruce. We'll also talk about um, Frank Saravalli said on orders now today that the Evan Bouchard contract is is pretty much done. And it's pretty much what everyone expected. It's going to be two years at three around three point nine million. No, we're, um, I'm sorry. Where'd you get that? Frank Saravalli said oh, that. Saravalli still, eh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the figure hasn't budged, but they haven't budged their pens to sign it either. Yeah, he says it's going to be announced any day now. I'll, I'll probably do a quick post on it. Um, right. And we'll talk just real quick. Just let's just really quick to start. We we've written recent. Um, Posts on a number of draft picks, Philip Kemp, James Hamblin, Nikita Yasayev, and Bo Aiki. Let's start with um, Phil Kemp, number 12 on our list, Bruce. Um, how likely do you think it is that he's in Edmonton this this coming season for a few games? Uh, I'd say probably 50-50 that he might play some games. He's on the last year of his uh, ELC. Uh, he's... Um, uh, he's improved every year that he's in Bakersfield. And honestly, David, as I see it, he's the number four right shot D-man in the organization. So what that likely means is that, you know, if one of the right D-men goes down for a little bit of time, uh, they might, you know, in the short term, shift a lefty over there. But Kemp would have to be a real serious option if they were, uh, if they were, uh, uh, going to be short a guy on the right side for any length of time because the only other one they really even have available is 20-year-old Max Wanner. 
who's a good prospect, but he's, you know, he's got miles to go before he sleeps in an NHL hotel. Whereas Kemp has already done a lot of those miles. You know, he's 24 years old now and 25 even. And he's, uh, you know, he's uh, uh, played the national team level successfully. He played the university level. Now he's played a a little bit in Sweden and the minor pro. And, you know, he's just done his reps. And uh, by all accounts, he's a, a solid citizen, smart, you know, Ivy League kind of guy uh, and, uh, you know, defense first, team first is uh, everything I hear about uh, about uh, that guy. And, you know, his upside is probably third pairing uh, defenseman. But like I say, if you get an injury or two, guess what you're going to need? You're going to need a third pairing defenseman so that your third pairing defenseman you got now can play in the second pairing or however it works out. So he's, I'd say he has a, has a decent chance of at least getting a look. I think the only thing um, both Ekholm and Philip Broberg can switch over and play, and Kulak, I think, can play all, they're all on the left side who can play the right side. So I think the first option, if there was an injury, would be to move one of those guys over uh, to the right side. So if one of their right shot demon got hurt, Bouchard, um, CC, or DeHarnay, in fact, Broberg or Echo might even start on the right side um, this Impossible. year. Impossible. With DeHarnay, a right shot defenseman, as a seventh D man. So I think he's kind of, in terms of pure right shot guys, he's fourth on the depth chart. But on the real depth chart, he's probably fifth or sixth in terms of who they'll go to if there's if there's injuries. Because uh, on the left side, there's lots of players, a number of players they could call up um, who might be called up ahead of if there was an injury on the Oilers blue line, for instance, or a couple, they could call up Nima Linen, who's got NHL experience, um, and um, they might prefer to go with him over Kemp. Uh, that said, Bruce, they might want to have a good look at Kemp, see how he can yeah. play in the NHL. And he, he's gotten some positive reviews from uh, people who watched him last year. Ira Cooper um, gave him a positive review. you know, And he just seems to be coming together as kind of a – Maybe like a Steve Steos kind of defenseman at the AHL level. Yet to see if he can translate that to the NHL level. Is that that's kind of how I envision his game? Just a little bit of everything, but not a whole lot of anything. Um, you know, he can do kind of everything okay. And if he's smart um, and solid, if he makes, he, he will he will have to be exceptional in his thinking of the game. Would be my like Steos was um, in order to become an NHL player. It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now, um, James Hamblin was done by, uh, the, that uh, profile was written by Kurt Levins. Of course, we all mm-hmm. saw James Hamblin play. Yep, 10 games. And um, I just think he's in tough. Um, he didn't particularly stand out in his uh, short stay in Edmonton last year. He, um, he's, he can skate. Uh, he can handle the puck okay. He just doesn't make a huge impact on the game. Um, yet now he's going to, maybe he'll figure out how to do that. I mean, players have figured out how to do Derek Ryan has figured out how to do that. Hamlin will have to be an absolutely exceptional defensive hockey player in terms of thinking of the game in order to make it in the NHL. And, um, so I don't know if he's, I I don't think he's there yet, but he could get there. That's something that Mm -hmm. comes with experience because he, he has a similar skill set in many ways to Derek Ryan. Maybe he's not quite as skilled, but I think that's, he's very 
they're kind of comparable players in that way. What what Ryan has over a player like Hamblin is experience and yeah. just one of the highest hockey IQs, I think, in the NHL in terms of defensive hockey. So um, I, I, we might see Hamblin this year. I, I don't know if we will. What do you think? Well, he's kind of in the same boat as he was last year, and I would have thought he'd probably be behind uh, uh, the guy who retired there. Um, oh, good grief. That's, Noah Philp. Noah Philp, yeah, thank you. Brain cramp. Uh, yeah, he, he would have been he, yeah, behind, behind Noah Philp, yeah. and Noah Philp would have got the next call up last year. But yeah. Noah Philp is retired, at least for now, and so... Uh, Bakersfield, like they're not too too deep on the centers, uh, but the thing is Edmonton is deep in centers. Like they got a bunch of wingers that can play, play center, center. yeah, and or they got a bunch of centers playing wing. It's even a more accurate way to put it, I think. So they have a few other choices that they can go through uh, before they necessarily call anybody up specifically to play the center position. And I would think you know they might even call up a winger and move one of their own guys back into the middle yeah. somehow, you know, Derek Ryan or somebody like that, like you already mentioned, who, uh, you know, but uh, so I, I like Hamblin and, I, you know, I think he's learning and I think he's getting better. It's just hard to see how high the upside is going to be. And as Kurt pointed out, he is a small guy. And that just means, you know, if you're small, you either need to be, well, at least you need to be an exceptional skater and you need to be like super tough. I think the small guys are the toughest guys that survived the pounding in the NHL. You know, you gotta you gotta have that that motor. And I, I like the motor of this player, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see. You know, it's uh, he's made some encouraging progress from a guy that started with an AHL contract. He's doing great. You know, he's played NHL yeah. games and he's close. So at the center, they obviously have McDavid and Dreisaitl and Ryan McLeod. They have Dylan Holloway who can shift there. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's played yep. a lot of center. Derek Ryan. Tia mm-hmm. Yanmark can play yep. center. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Connor Brown can play center or not. I'm not sure if that's in his repertoire or not. He's but a that's, pure, I think he's a pure winger. Zach Hyman, he was actually listed as a center originally. Yeah. But he's a pure winger near as I can tell now. But, they're, you know, they got... There's a lot of guys. They got guys. There's and seven... They, Deep, you six know, or in, seven, in yeah, guys players, who can so, play center. Yeah. And then they signed Lane Peterson, who's 25, right. 24, 25, and scored a lot of goals. And uh, yeah, might, he'd be ahead, he'd be ahead of Hamblin. Now, might be so ahead of Hamblin point. as well. Bruce, uh, you wrote about Nikita Yasayev, a low round dra- seventh round draft pick, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, not this past yeah. draft, but the draft before, and he had a big yes. season in the KHL. Got a lot of ice time, I understand, as a nineteen yeah. year which is pretty unusual. As an 18-year-old. As an 18-year-old, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, he's yeah. 19 soon. Yeah. He was drafted, yeah. He, he was drafted, yeah. He's, he's 19 now, but he turned 19 after the season was over. And as an 18-year-old, I compared him to the other 18-year-old defenseman in the KHL, thinking that with this uh, uh, young players rule that they have, uh, where they can dress one or even two extra players in a game if they're under 20 years old, and a lot of teams do that, and you often see these extra guys getting hardly any ice time. You know, they're dressing, but, you know, they're there for the experience and so on. But I thought, yeah, there's probably going to be five or ten of these guys that are D-men. And guess what? There's three. And the entire KHL 
uh, 24 teams, I think it is, and there's three 18-year-old defensemen in the whole league. And you have to say I've played the most games, uh, I had the most points, the most pims, the best plus. He was the only guy to score a goal, even he had five goals. Uh, and um, I, ju- I just think he did real well to, you know, to get find a spot on a team that went to the seventh game of the finals. I looked at their their um, playoff record. Boy, oh boy, did it bring back a sour memory, uh, a happy memory, and a sour memory. They his team won. First round in six games, second round in six games, third round in five games, exactly like the 2006 Edmonton Oilers. And then they lost in game seven of the Gagarin Cup finals, just like the 2006 Edmonton Oilers. I've never looked now. Well, they went 15 and nine in the playoffs. I know that one. Uh, anyway, he played 22 of the 24 playoff games. He had four points. He was on the ice for nine goals, four and one against. In 22 playoff games. Now, in the playoffs, he was only playing about seven minutes a game, and he was getting that seventh. He was got. He had uh, identical ice time in the playoffs as Philip Robert did for Edmonton. Was Six he on their uh, World Junior team? Seconds. Uh, I th- think he may have been before, but they just didn't have one last year because they've been oh, banned for a while. That's so. right. That's right. I so forgot. some of these guys, you know, yeah, the chance I... we used to get to see him is kind of gone and. But okay. anyway, he yeah. was uh, uh, right. he was encouraging and, he, you know, he was fairly physical, like he had hit some block shots, and, you know, just there was lots of stuff suggesting he was involved in the hurly burly of the play. And he's supposedly pretty tough and can land a pretty solid hip check. So and of course, I cheerfully admitted in writing the column, I've never seen the guy play a single game. So a lot of it, you're just going on the facts of, you know, the stats that he's posted and comparing him to other guys in the same boat. And I also looked at the 17-year-old Russian defenseman, of which there were also three, uh, two of them who played any kind of games. And those two guys both got picked in the first round this year. Now, but of course, they're, they're a year. Yeah, well, he did as an 18-year-old, and they did as a 17-year-old. So yeah. False yeah, comparison a little bit. Yeah. But at 17, Yevseyev did play a couple of games, and then the Oilers picked him. And at 18, he was kind of a very pleasant surprise. So I think they got a live one. And, you know, all you can do is compare him to his peers. And, geez, he did pretty all right. So he's uh you know he's a couple of years away at minimum and those i mean he's under contract in the khl until 2025 so they, all they can do is watch from a distance for a while but that's really all they want to do is it 24 25 that he's yeah it's like, two more years is it two more years yeah okay. for you have say of yeah okay all right uh at number nine is bo achey he was mm-hmm. the um second round pick of the edmonton Oilers this year and Bruce, he is a very, very interesting pick in that he is a highly unlikely kind of player for the Oilers to take. The Oilers over the years have taken dozens, dozens of gigantic <laughs> defensemen, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. They just love drafting those guys. And not many of them have turned out, you know, and they've taken someone the, like a, a famous one. I remember Francois Leroux, I think it was 6'6". Six, six. Yep. He was drafted in like tw- 1989. At least he played some games. He did play some games, but there, hardly any of these guys have turned out. A few of them have, and a few of them more recently have. Vincent DeHarnay 
uh, has, and Michael Kesselring, um, drafted by the Oilers. Um, I think he's six five or six four. He's he's got some games in Arizona last year. So the strategy, uh, you can see why they go with the big guys. It's just really intimidating to go up against big players. But mm-hmm. um, Bo Aiky in his draft year was six feet six feet tall and one hundred and seventy pounds, and it's only about four or five guys. When you look at who, when you look at very slight offensive defensemen taken in their 17, mm-hmm. like when they're 17 years old in their draft year, mm-hmm. there's only like you can count them on one hand, essentially, that kind of player that the Oilers have ever taken in the draft. They just yeah. don't go for that mm-hmm. kind of player. Most recently, um, I, I think Ethan Bear kind of qualifies. Ethan Bear's kind of a stocky yep. dude. Yeah, but, yeah, but he's 5'11", 197, and so he's he, solid for sure. But he is, but he is, you know, he's not big. And you could, right. that's one of the reasons he didn't stick in Edmonton, frankly, is, is, is size, I think. So, um, <clears throat> but, so they took Bear, they, they went down that path with Ethan Bear, and he's probably the best of the, um, those players who have turned out so far. So Bo Wakey, um, he's got a heck of a shot. He's, he's a pretty good skater. I mean, I'm, I've, I've, Corey Pronman was a little less, he, Corey Pronman just did the Oilers, uh, uh, player ranking of of their amateur players today, and he talked about Aki being an average NHL skater, which is still a really really great skater. Obviously, um, some people are very effusive in their praise of Aki's skating. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's mm-hmm. a very interesting pick, and um, if he develops, uh, you could have a you know the the interesting thing is this. There, there was a lot of this kind of slight defenseman taken in the NHL draft this year. I think there was six or seven or eight guys who are slight defensemen, mm-hmm. like Aki, in that same category, taken before Aki in the draft. And I think it's because of the success, recent success, of all of these smaller D-men. Kale you know, McCarr. starting with Kale McCarr, the the one player in the NHL who I think talent performance comes close to Connor McDavid. Um, is, There's a few of them, though. Eh? Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, those aren't big guys. Eric Carlson is is a yeah, prime yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those guys are all fantastic defensemen. Fox is, I think, 5'10", 183. And, and you know, you uh, how much you trust these. Like when when, a, when someone's smaller, mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder if they're actually even smaller than their listed height and weight, Typically. because there's every uh, incentive to say you're 5'10" when you're actually 5'8". And and I don't know how accurate the test. <clears throat> Forgot to take your skates or your or your uh, sweaty equipment off before you get weighed. <laughs> exactly. Well, I yeah, I can't remember the guy who does the podcast with Strudwick and Rashog from Newfoundland. What's his name? That uh, former Terry NHL. Ryan. Terry, Terry Ryan, Ryan talked mm-hmm. about how he. Che- I can't remember exactly what he did, but he he was able to tack on 20, 20 mm-hmm. 25 pounds. I think he must have been wearing some weighted a weighted vest or something like that when he got weighed. So mm-hmm. um, anyway. There's these smaller players, though, Bruce. Um, Josh Morrissey in Winnipeg's another example. You know, and and these are all guys who, interestingly, give Connor McDavid a hard time, most of them, because they can skate so well. Certainly, McCarr and Morrissey are two defensive defensemen I I don't like seeing go against McDavid because they skate so well, he has a hard time burning around them, which is his game. And uh, anyway, we'll see. Boeke is a long way from there. All of these... Slight defenseman taken at the top end of the draft. You know, out of the 10 guys that are like that taken in the first two rounds, you know, two or three will make it in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Sure. But let's hope Bo is one of them. 
There's a ton of second round p- picks that were defensemen who turned out to be pretty darn good players over the years. Uh, Shea Weber and Duncan Keith, top of my uh-huh. mind for me Dino right Chara, uh, Nick Lidstrom went in the third round. Yeah. All those guys went around number 50 overall, and they all won Norris trophies, you know, anyway. So I'm not saying he's going to win a Norris trophy. All I'm saying the second round is a pretty good place to be picking defensemen based on the historical track record. And the Oilers didn't have a first-round pick this year. And uh, having another righty is not the worst thing to add either. They haven't got a lot of depth on the right side now that uh, Kesselring is gone, Barry is gone, you know, and, and DeHarnay got promoted, and you know, just on the farm. They just haven't got a lot of depth there. So getting the right D-man was good good idea bruce let's move on to the do you want to talk about Jaden group or not he's going to be our next prod prospect uh, i think we can just wait on that okay. because there's this big news to talk about yep, right let's now. Get, let's go let's let's just talk about that sure so um the oilers again as i said they they got they have parted ways with title right and brought in rick pracy i have to look up his name every time because i've yet to memorize it um so again a long time scout in colorado and and uh five years as their head of amateur scouting. And then since then, uh, probably the OHL, OHL scout, as far as I can tell, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Bruce, just in terms of Tyler Wright, um, just in terms of the organization, thumbs up or thumbs down to this move? Do you, do you, do you like it or dislike it? Uh, well, I kind of have mixed feelings about Tyler Wright. My biggest takeaway from this move, frankly, is that Ken Holland, uh, that was his chosen guy, Tyler Wright, that followed him here from Detroit. And if ever we needed a piece of evidence that Ken Holland is no longer the one and only guy running the ship in Edmonton, I would suggest today's news would fall in in that category. Uh, Every... Indication I'm getting is that this will be Ken Holland's swan song. He's playing out the fifth year of his contract, and and they clearly have got to the point where, you know, he's running the team team, but the organization is being run by uh, uh, by the new man, and and he's you know making his presence felt there. So it's um, uh, I don't know if it's a power struggle, but I mean we've seen some coming and going now. I mean we saw Steve Steos that's uh, parted ways with the team, and now we've got uh, Tyler Wright on the way out. Uh, of course we've got the two new guys on the way in, and it seems like everybody coming to Edmonton, whether they're wearing a tie or skates, is uh, coming from Ontario, eh? <laughs> yeah, we, we've had a few good ones from Ontario, I have to say. This guy was a goalie coach for Windsor Spitfires. Windsor, that's it. He's from Hamilton, and he's he was a goalie coach in Windsor, and all of a sudden he went from there to Colorado, and and as you say, he was the uh, he was director of amateur scouting for uh, uh, for several years in Colorado, and then they came to a parting of the way sometime in 2014, 15. Bruce, I have to say, uh, I'm going to have an alternate theory mm-hmm. that maybe Ken Holland initiated this. Like, we, we don't know, right, at this right. point? I don't think it's a bad... I think, first of all, that's a very reasonable theory that Jeff Jackson is having his say mm-hmm. here and that he's pushing this. And and if people mm-hmm. are saying that... Like, we're all guessing. But right. that's, a, that's a reasonable guess. And I, mm-hmm. I think, but 
the fact of the matter is that Ken Holland's downfall in Detroit was the fact that his scouting department, which from about 1986 to 2003, killed it. They absolutely killed it in Detroit, Bruce. And that's how those Red Wings got to be so good. And they mainly did it on the back of one great scout from Sweden, Håkan Andersson. Håkan Andersson, yeah. And, um, but I think they had other good European scouts because almost every year they plucked yeah. a really a good to great um, player from Europe. Mm-hmm. And I'll just give you the quick list here. Nicholas Lidstrom, Sergei Fedorov, Vyshlav Kozlov, Anders Eriksson, Thomas Holmstrom, Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, Nicholas Cronwall, Thomas Kopecki, <laughs> Yuri Hudler, Valtteri Filpula, Thomas Fleischmann, and Jonathan Eriksson, and Johan Franson. So that, that doesn't a, even include bringing, you know, a guy like Robert Lang who came over and then they went and they brought him back to the NHL and he turned into a star. You know, they, they yeah, just seem to have that They just crunch. crushed it. doesn't even mention the Russian five except for maybe one or two of them, you know. Yeah. But they, the, the, the wings really went deep into Europe and it really paid off for them. Did and they ever? European scout was a huge part of it. But, but they kept the same scouts after 2003, 2004. And for the next decade in Detroit, they stunk. They they lost it. They Whatever they had, they didn't have it anymore, Bruce. And then Tyler Wright came in in about uh, 2013 and he ran the show for about five years. And he didn't do very well at all either. And, um, you know, we can say that when he was hired by the Oilers, it was kind of hard to tell because you can't really tell how a guy, how an amateur head of amateur scouting's done in a draft, till he's been there about five years, and then it's if he's no good, it's too late in a way because you need five years to see how these players are going to turn out. And um, so when the Oilers hired Tyler Wright, we didn't really know um, whether it was going to work out with him. But I think it's fairly safe to say now, Bruce, that his time in Detroit was far from exceptional. There was a lot of misses in his work there so including uh like first round picks evgeny svechnikov in 2015 dennis chalowski in 2016 philip zadina sixth overall in 2018 and maybe michael rasmus in 2017 who who is kind of panning out a little bit now but that's three first round draft picks including one in the top 10 then you've got to hit um on a higher ratio than that and there's really no uh players taken in the later rounds to speak of who have crushed it so far um so ken holland might be looking at that and thinking you know he he he, he's probably thinking i was there in detroit when he drafted all these guys um his drafting at edmonton is is really too early to tell and there's it it could turn out that tyler wright did really well drafting for the orders and we don't know that yet and we can't say, but we do know in Detroit, he didn't do well. And Ken Holland also knows in Detroit, he, he was done in as GM because of lack of um, the strength in their amateur scouting department as much as anything. And um, so he might be thinking, let's move. Let's, let's, this isn't, you know, Tyler didn't do great. Maybe he's done okay in Edmonton. I can't really tell, but let's just move. Let's just, let's just bring in somebody new. 
and um, see how that goes. Because based on his record, is overall his record to the right, it's kind of it's it's pretty mediocre at best. Yeah, well, I'm thinking this is Jeff Jackson's move, but I mean, time maybe will tell. One of the things we're learning about Jeff Jackson and the Oilers is that they seem to be a tighter ship in terms of not leaking any information out. I mean, we knew nothing about Jeff Jackson being hired. We knew nothing about uh, about uh, today's change at a key organizational position. Like, there was no clues that this was coming. Now, no, mind no. you, that's maybe because our daytime sports radio isn't where it used to be, David, but I also think it's that the Oilers are doing a better job of maybe keeping uh, keeping uh, uh, a little better seal on what's going on in the organization. So, well, Holland's we may, been pretty we good. May, that, we may not, well, we knew we didn't that know he was drafting Philip Broberg before he ever wow. got to the draft, you know, I mean, yeah, no. anyway, that's, there's there's something, I mean, we knew about Zach Hyman and Jack Campbell before they ever yeah. officially became Oilers. Anyway, that that's one, uh, you know, it's kind of neither here nor there, but it seems to be they've just tightened it up a little bit. And, and uh, so we may or may not ever find out for sure. But the way Jackson, when he came in, he was talking about scouting and how he set up his own scouting department with the agency that he worked with and how they did, you know, they taught player skills. They scouted their own players to sign as you know to 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 attract to be clients and they also uh, uh they worked on some of this sports science stuff and he just keeps repeating those things and you you wrote about that uh, the other day and the fact that he's been here for a few weeks and all of a sudden they've changed their director of amateur scouting i mean there's no way that he didn't have a big say in it he may have consulted ken hall or maybe even holland brought it to him but I think uh, this is uh, this is a change in direction of the uh, uh, of the organization, and it, to me, it follows the lead of them bringing on uh, uh, Jackson. Now, looking at uh, right, just to go Detroit, he started in 2013-14, so we won't credit him at all with the 2013 draft. Typically, the scout does his work at the end of his season. His first pick was Dylan Larkin, 584 games, pretty good. And other than that, since then until the end of his time there, six years later, they picked uh, Philip Ronick that played 309 games so far. And Michael Rasmussen, great big first-round pick, who's played 238 games. And I don't think particularly successfully, but they just keep looking at him, you know. So he piles up the games the way, you know, Anton Lander piled up 200 games or something. Yeah. Otherwise, they got a whole bunch of guys with, you know, 100 games. Joe Valeno and Philip Sedina, uh, uh, guys like uh, Gustav Lindstrom and Giovanni Smith and Dennis Shalowski. And as you mentioned, Evgeny Svechnikov, Christopher N. They all have between one and 200 NHL games. Well, really, who are these guys? And are they game changers? Any of those guys? I don't think so. So that record in Detroit is poor. And I was remember being surprised at the time that Holland brought him over. I thought Holland might want to go in a different direction. But Bruce, um, I'm going to have to go right away, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to wrap this. There's a couple things going on at once here. So I just want to quick wrap up with Wright. We mm-hmm. don't know how he's done yet. I think it's fair to right. say in Edmonton. He, his reputation will rest on how players like Dylan Holloway, Carter Savoy, Tyler Tulio, Maxime Bereshkin, right. 
right. Xavier Bogo, Luka Munzenberger, mm-hmm. Matthew Petrov, Maximus Wanner, Reed Schaefer, Nikita Yasayev, and Bo Aiki do as NHLers. They already got value out of Reed Schaefer mm-hmm. by uh, by trading it. So we, we it's just too early to say, but I think it is fair to say, and as you just enunciated with that rather unimpressive list of players, mm-hmm. he didn't do that well in Detroit. And I can see why them them may be thinking it's just time to 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 upgrade. On the other but, hand, but, that's the list for Rick Pracy, uh, the years that he was heading in Detroit or in Colorado, uh, he was great in 09. Uh, they had Matt Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly, and Tyson Berry in the first three rounds. It was just fantastic year at the draft table. And then he went cold. Joey Hishon, first round. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog, second overall. But Duncan Siemens, 11th overall, that only played 20 NHL games that year. Uh, yeah. Or d- ever. Uh, some guy named, uh, well, it wasn't even a first round pick, Nathan McKinnon, of course, and then Connor Bleakley. And, you know, his 2014 draft was very poor with only one player uh, ever making, you know, playing any NHL games at all. And then uh, he was out there and then he got just became a regular scout again in Philly. So his own sort of bass back records, a little spotty. So. But I bet if you turned over the rocks for a lot of scouts and a lot of, you know, scouting departments, I mean, they it's like baseball. You strike out an awful lot more often than you hit a home run. And it's Indeed. We'll, we'll dig into um, the new guy a little bit more in a coming podcast. There'll probably sure. maybe even be some interviews and stuff. And I no intend doubt. to actually uh, to dig into his background a little bit more than it's done. So, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Right. Thanks thanks for listening, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>